A young woman is reported missing just a couple of hours after anyone last had contact. That is unusual, but there were reasons for the report. Her phone was left behind, but a gun and a handbag was missing. Her body was found almost 24 hours after the report. Subsequent investigations raised more questions than gave answers. Was her death drug-related? Was it a suicide for hire? Or was it plain and simple murder? This is the very strange case of Natalie Bollinger, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Murder Me Monday podcast. I'm Cameron and joined with me is Mother. Hello. So you know in life you get these really weird coincidences that make you think like the Matrix is glitching? Yes. You get like ducks swimming in a circle. You see five red cars that go by you think something's going wrong. Yeah. This seems to be one for us. I'm not going to say what it is before people have listened to it because I don't want to spoil anything. But this is like the fifth one in a row or the fifth one out of six that you seem to have done. And it's not deliberate either. It really isn't. I just I just came came across this one. I have rakes and rakes of folders and spreadsheets and this was at the bottom of, of a list and I thought what on earth is that one again and I couldn't remember it till I clicked open a couple of tabs and realized I recognized this girl's beautiful face and then when I fell down this one I thought yeah we've got to do this so I recognize a surname I'm not sure if she shares it with someone famous she, or something I recognize the surname um champagne Bollinger champagne a bottle of Bolly is it yes oh yes okay <laughs> So this week, we are off to Broomfield in the state of Colorado in the USA. A very strange case that also includes a stalker, which I actually couldn't work into the opening. Broomfield is about 13 miles away from Boulder and has a population of roughly 75,000. In 2017, one of these residents was a 19-year-old woman by the name of Natalie, who was living there with her boyfriend. On the surface, life was going well. They had a small apartment. Natalie's boyfriend was working, Natalie had a job interview lined up, had or was about to graduate high school and had been accepted onto a scholarship programme studying to become a registered nurse at college. Reality was a bit different. Natalie's family was fractured. Divorce, feuds, fights and such. Her father was involved in drugs and there were numerous entanglements with police. She had also been involved in a number of domestic violence situations whereby she was the victim. All of these things would be a stressor on anyone and then add into the mix she became a drug addict, heroin to be precise, and there are accounts of how she had been suicidal on a number of occasions. So at this point she had been accepted into a scholarship for nursing and then she was addicted to heroin or was did she recover and then get into nursing? She seemed to dip in and out of it from the heroin. Um, this is why it leads a, a lot of questions that come up in this case. But she was still taking heroin from time to time. And there are many different ways to take it. I didn't know yeah. and I've learnt. I know you can inject it, you can snort it. You, you can, can smoke, smoke it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what her was her preferred method. And that again may come up in the questioning at the end. I've got so many questions on this one. I wasn't too sure on the timeline whether or not she'd recovered and then got into nursing and that was why. No, that was a motivation or whatever. Yeah, well, she seems to have been a very kind and caring person and that's why she wanted to do this. So there are no verifiable accounts of there being domestic violence in her current relationship. Indeed, she is said to have told people she loved him and never wanted to hurt him, which makes what happened all the more strange. 
Natalie was reported missing on Thursday the 28th of December 2017 at approximately 3.30pm. Her boyfriend had returned home from work to find Natalie missing. Natalie's phone was found in their apartment, but he noticed that his gun was missing as well. It was a Glock 9mm. Her boyfriend, being concerned, contacted a friend of Natalie's who was actually an ex-boyfriend. Though they were no longer a couple, they kept in close contact. He was supposed to see Natalie that day to go out for a motorbike ride, but he hadn't seen her. So her boyfriend reports her missing. Police get to the apartment and some of the reports are a bit muddled at this point, but somehow or another, Natalie's phone died. And it's not clear if it died as in the police are looking at it or it died by the time the police got there. But by the time they put it on charge, it was pinlocked. Some phone companies can give authorities more information than others. We know that Apple won't help authorities to unlock iPhones. But in this case, and it was four and a half years ago, the phone company was able to tell them something about the last texts and calls she had made or had been made to her. That's normal police behaviour, right? But the reason that they were particularly interested in what was on her phone was down to her stalker. A man named Sean Swartz, who was at the time aged 42. He was homeless, apparently. On December the 15th, 2017, so just before this, Natalie had a restraining order served against Sean. Natalie had befriended him when she was 13 years old, but had somehow reconnected with him in the previous two years. Sean had become increasingly obsessed with Natalie. Sean attacked Natalie, her family members and friends with Facebook posts. Sean became very nasty, even telling Natalie that he wanted to kill himself in front of her, close enough to where she could feel his warm blood spatter on her. It's a bit much, isn't it? Is this someone that she knew from like, the drug scene, the drug world, a homeless man? I can't see how she would get to know him. I think... I'll get into it. I also bit. thought, isn't it hard to get a restraining order on a homeless man? Yeah. Because they don't have like a fixed place. If he was in a shelter, he would have done. And he must have had something because I've seen pictures of him where he's obviously on a, uh, in, in a room where he's posting YouTube videos and he's posting... Okay, so you might have like a semi-fixed place. Yeah. I don't know why. I feel like it would affect my self-esteem if my stalker was a homeless person. I can quite understand. I'm, I'm like, I can't get a good tear stalker. I have to get a homeless tear stalker. Okay. He's very odd. Yeah. Now, there's an excerpt from Natalie's Facebook regarding this guy. And I'll quote it because it's been all over the place. It says, hey, all, I have a public announcement. There is a man, Sean Swartz, that I met this man when I was young. I ran into him about two years ago. Long story short, I became friends with him. I helped him out with rides and stuff. I moved to Virginia. He drove across country to see me, slept behind my work for weeks. When I told him I don't want to see him anymore, he sent me hundreds of texts and calls. He parked his car in front of my house, blocking military highway for hours. Laying on his horn, he was arrested. Since then, I've asked him to leave me alone and he won't. He sends emails for over a year close to every day, harassing me, making numerous accounts until I block him again, threatening my family, telling, him, telling me he'll kill himself in front of me and sending my friends and family harassing messages as well. I'm sharing this because he's posting slander about me all over Facebook. So if you receive a message, I am sincerely sorry. Please ignore him. It only encourages him when he gets a response, much like a child. He is mentally ill and I'm trying to fix this. 
Now, as I said, she wanted to be a nurse. It would be in her nature probably to try and help someone like this. After all, we know mental hospitals are either shut or won't take someone unless they commit a violent act. And care in the community is just a catchphrase. It means very, very little. I mean, that is what happens when you get rid of these social safety nets. Yes, exactly. When you completely disband them, that's what happens. Look at LA, for example. Yeah. You said that she had given him a lift to places. Is that... And she said you said that he, she yes. had given him a ride. Is that yeah. so? That that's where the relationship formed. I believe that she probably met him through the drug culture, as you say. I believe that's why she was giving him lifts about, and you know, she just. Well, she's generally being kind, like you said. Yeah, she's being kind. She's she's being kind to this guy. So she's helping this homeless man, and then he's if he does have any psychological issues. She's going to fixate on her, isn't he? Yes. She's someone that's shown him some niceness. She might be like an attractive woman and he's just She's stuck. stunning. She is stunning. And he, she's 17. Well, she's, ni- she's 17 when she reconnects with him. So she's 19 at this point and he's 42. He's old enough to be her father. When, whenever anyone gets addicted to, to drugs, it's like, it's like they get corrupted or turned fell. You know, in movies when someone turns evil yes. from taking the drugs. They're a victim as well from the, from the drug standard. I find it especially sucky when it's someone that's either going to be successful or someone that's attractive and that's yeah. kind of biased of me it's just like an athlete getting into a car accident and then not being able to be an athlete anymore yeah it's i, I yeah i understand exactly where you, you must from. have seen those pictures that are someone that's got the first mugshot when they've done something yes. and then like, like a couple of years later yeah. when, they, when they've gone down this the mad rabbit hole of drugs like. yeah yeah that puts you off it. Well, it doesn't. The rest of it puts you off it. But, the, but those pictures, man, you look, they look fucked up. Well, she said in her Facebook post about the fact she'd moved to Virginia. And he came out afterwards and said the reason he'd went out to Virginia, and he drove, he had a car at this point. Don't know how, but he did. Yeah, but the, and the inability to house yourself doesn't necessarily mean you can't do other stuff. It's like you can afford an iPhone and still be homeless because the costs of rent in a lot of places can be ex- can be like five times the yeah. cost of an iPhone. Same with a car, $300, for example, for a car that can actually get you somewhere. Yeah. So well, being I look- able to afford a place and have a car and a phone. Well, I looked up the distance from Virginia, you know, and it boggled me the distance some people will travel. 1,700 miles, give or take. So that that's a hang of a distance. I've turned down girls that live 40 miles away because <laughs> I'm having funny. I can't be asked driving that a couple of times a week. I'm well, not about that life. One of the things he said, um, and again, it's only him that's saying these things. He said that when Natalie arrived in Virginia, she got into quite a serious car accident 24 hours after she arrived and she was hurt, quite badly hurt. And he said that she said she was suicidal. So he drove there to protect her, look after her. And then came the creepy phrase, which was, we didn't do anything, we just held hands. Yeah. It's creepy in this context, but I don't think it's too weird to hold someone's hand in a supportive context. So they're, in, they're in a car accident. I was going to ask, but you kind of answered it for me there. It was her getting into a car accident, a thing that led her to becoming addicted to heroin, opiates. It wasn't because this is after the event. This yeah. is when she already knew him. So it must yeah. have been post-heroin yeah, or post-starting heroin. Yeah. So Natalie's gone missing. They know about Sean, obviously, because of the restraining order of the police. So they go and pick him up. Do you think they'd be more biased that it was him because he's homeless and for some reason they're deemed worse by society? No, I think because of the restraining order. Okay, that makes more sense. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. He was fairly easy to find as he had been posting his suicidal tendencies on Facebook, leading police finding him at an Episcopalian church. 
He was taken to Boulder Community Health Hospital where he yelled at staff and police officers who later arrested him for the disruption and then very quickly let him go because they believed he had nothing to do with her disappearance. Sean proceeded to continue to bash Natalie over social media while at the same time pleading for people to look for her. There are some very strange videos out there on YouTube if you go looking and on Facebook. So Natalie's phone company was actually AT&T and they go to the phone company to ask for the data and they tell them that 111 text messages to and from an unknown number had occurred between 10.58 a.m. and 12.20 p.m. on the 28th. She went missing between one and three hours after that last text. So the investigators determined the number is for a guy called Joseph Michael Lopez, who was 22 years old. He was engaged to be married and had recently become a father. They put surveillance on him. They observe him outside his home. See that he has recently bought a car, which was a Nissan with temporary license tags. Paperwork for the car purchase showed he had bought it with his girlfriend, confirming the number associated with him and showed that he worked for Domino's. Investigators talk to Domino's. They confirm it's the phone number they have for Joseph and that it was associated with texting Natalie as well. Domino's mentions that Joseph called out sick on the 28th, 29th of December. He didn't show up at all on the 30th of December or call, but he later told his employer he was sick and sleeping all day. Can you blame him? Around that time of year? I'd do that if I had to. Working at Domino's, you don't really care about your job, I'm sick. Can't come in. It's around New Year and Christmas. Yeah. I can't blame him. No. He did work on the 31st of December, so New Year's Eve. So investigators received GPS or cell tower data for Joseph's phone. The cell tower data also showed that Joseph went to Natalie's residential area between four minutes past 12 and 12.30. The device eventually goes to a place called Riverdale Road and stayed stationary for eight minutes. Friday the 29th of December... 2017, Natalie's body is found on a dirt road leading to a dairy farm, Riverdale Road, in Adams County, just outside Brimfield. She had been killed by a single gunshot to the back of her head. There was also mention of bruising on her body and the wounds that she received, one over the eye and marking to her lip, but they were thought to be most probably post-mortem. The bruising could also be explained away as not a domestic violence situation as she was tiny, 4 foot 11 and about 100 pounds soaking wet and had only just moved two weeks previously. Easy to knock yourself. That is a tiny person. Yes. That's a tiny nurse. I'd be worried about if they can turn people over for pressure wounds and pressure shorts. Well, they do have techniques and they have do have things like hoists and... She's half my height and half my weight. She ain't going to wrong me. Yeah. But also as well with her drug use, it's very easy to wobble and fall and not realise you've bruised yourself, isn't it? And potentially, depending on how how much of a drug user, user she was, we don't know if it's been amplified in the reports for it. Yeah. It might have been that she had done heroin previously. You don't know if she's like an active abuser of it. Yeah. That does lead to weight loss. So yeah. that might be part of the reason why she's so small frame-wise. It could be. So the 8th of February 2018, 
Joseph is approached at work by investigators. They ask him to follow them to the police station. And he says he thinks he knows what it's about. The girl he talked to on Craigslist or Craigslist. Craigslist. He gave over his phone to investigators and signed off on them allowing them to search it and download data. Joseph tells police that he had answered an advert in the Women Seeking Men section of Craigslist, which he said later turned out to be created by Natalie. According to Joseph, I want to put a hit out on myself, said Natalie, and was looking for someone to end her life for her because she didn't have the nerve. In the first account he gave to police, he said that he'd messaged Natalie out of curiosity after seeing the advert. After exchanging details, Joseph picked her up from her home in Broomfield after his shift at the pizza place and the pair went to scout locations for where she could die. Okay, so people might not be able to hear it, but we're talking about a harrowing case, a woman that's been murdered in essentially like the desert and a fucking ice cream truck just pulled up outside and it's really loud. Yeah. He said she told him that she was having issues with her boyfriend and it had all become too much. However, he told the police that they couldn't decide on a place, so he drove her home. The issue with this account was that Joseph's car's GPS placed him at the murder scene. The second story he gave police had a slightly different flavour. He told them the pair had gone location scouting, but once they'd arrived at a spot near the dairy farm, Natalie had shot herself in the head with the 9mm she brought with her. He then left her and hadn't reported anything to the police. The problem with this account, the police told him, was that given the bullet's trajectory into Natalie's skull, she couldn't have pulled the trigger. They could tell that she had been shot from a distance of between one and three feet away. So, once again... Joseph changed his story. He told investigators that he'd messaged Natalie, hoping to convince her not to kill herself. Even after they'd gone to scout places to kill her, he was hoping she'd reconsider, but she didn't. That said, he agreed that he would kill her. Isn't the woman seeking men part of like Craigslist usually for sex? Yes. Not for murder. So this guy alone has got a partner with a kid. Is what I'm like a, yeah. a worse version of Reddit, I guess. I don't. Okay. Yes, Cameron, I see your puzzlement. He said that the pair prayed together. Then he shot Natalie in the back of the head, shaking uncontrollably and without looking at his target. That's a leap, though, to go f- trying to hook up with someone to be like, "Yeah, I'll kill you for some money." I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it. Either. I'm not supposed to get it, but you know what I mean. Yep. He mentions to the police that he uses an app called Amino to create fantasy personas. One of these characters uses charisma to lure in others before he goes psycho on them and strikes. He alleges that he spoke to Natalie using this persona as a fake hitman. He brings up his journal being found in his senior year. Within it, it mentions of his desire to kidnap torture and execute someone on his own. Eventually, he starts talking about his texts with Natalie again. He says that they discussed payment for the hit with Natalie while driving around. Joseph says that Natalie said he could sell the gun afterwards, which actually belonged to her boyfriend. He claimed at no time did they have or consumed drugs together. 
back to Sean, the stalker. He's still at it, even though she's dead. He would go on late night rants about Natalie on Facebook. He went as far as posting nasty messages on Natalie's Facebook page that had now become a remembering Natalie page. Again, there are loads of YouTube videos if you want to go looking at it. Joseph was charged with first degree murder. However, the charge was dropped to second degree murder when he agreed to plead guilty. Her family were really, really unhappy about that. They were not consulted at all and they think he should have been charged with murder. Her father was so angry, there are reports of him outside the courtroom after this happened, saying he wanted to sue the prosecutors, wanted to sue the state, he wanted, you know, everybody sued, which I get, but to this day, nothing's actually happened. Would it have even mattered? Would the opinion of the family matter no. Within the sentencing? No. It'd be, it'd be nice to sort of... It's, it's the, the courtesy of telling them it, but I, d- I don't see why. Yeah, exactly. Now, because... I, mean, I, I, I can see her frustration because just because the guy... You want justice, even though going sitting in your room for how many other years isn't really justice because it doesn't bring your child back. Yeah. But you know that he's going to get off with a less, lesser sentence because he admitted to it. You still want him to suffer more and that's not enough because you weren't consulted. I can see why they're frustrated by it. Yeah. Beyond frustrated. Yeah. It seemed that maybe the prosecutors were worried that Joseph would be able to swing the jury, even though the primary worry was that he would claim assisted suicide angle or defence, as are those out there that said that the advert didn't exist. And I've seen that in multiple places, this advert didn't exist. And yet in another place, I did see that the police had confirmed that it did exist and they were able to link it to Natalie's Gmail account and to her phone. Yet I can't find any evidence either way that the police have issued a formal statement. And in order to have a legal assisted suicide in Colorado, you have to be diagnosed with a terminal illness, have less than six months to live, have two doctors sign off to indicate that you're both terminally ill and mentally psychological capable of making the choice. There's a multiple week waiting period for the drug. You have to mix it and drink it yourself. And even if it could be proven that Joseph killed Natalie at her own request, while she was dying of a lethal dose of heroin... This still qualifies as a crime rather than a physician-assisted suicide. There's so many rules around it for so many reasons. It's defined as a crime from whose end? What do you mean? Sui- assisted suicide is legal in Colorado, but it has to be yeah, so. Under very specific circumstances that you, that you just stated. Yes. But when you said that it was a crime from whose end? Is it from her having taken huge amounts of heroin and was going to die anyway, and then when he killed her, on, then shot her on top of it? Is that what you still mean? Or do you mean her trying to overdose? No, Joseph actually killing her, regardless of the amount of heroin that was actually in her system at the time. Okay. Because he shot her, it was still a crime. It wasn't assisted suicide, but they were worried that he was going to try and claim that at a jury trial. So I said about that heroin. The autopsy report had shown that she had died from that gunshot wound to the head. The report also said that Natalie had this history of heroin and methamphetamine use. And the report said she had this potentially lethal level of heroin in the blood. So that ended up me going down this, I know far more about heroin than I ever did before, diamorphine, which is straight name for, which is the drug name for heroin. 
So the immediate effects of heroin were often rather obvious. The type of heroin used determines how quickly the effects are felt. For instance, we talked about this, Cameron, injecting heroin with a syringe provides an almost immediate reaction. When heroin is smoked or snorted, the effects won't present themselves for about 15 minutes. That's probably because it's something called a prodrug, which means you have to ingest it. And then during the process of your body breaking it down, it has an effect because if you inject it straight away, it doesn't get broken down. My ADHD meds are Liz dexamphetamine. Your body cleaves off an ester that the Liz part and then your body then turns that into dexamphetamine. So, I mean, you consume one drug, but your body converts it into another. It's probably a similar thing with the heroin effects. Heroin changes into morphine when it's introduced to the brain. And the so mor- I was right then, it is a yeah, prodrug. Huh. Yeah, so the morphine uh-huh. attaches itself to the opioid receptors in the brain, which allows the human body to experience pain and feel pre- pleasure. The disruption of these receptors is what makes the heroin's user experience the euph- euphoria that they're looking for. So as I said, if you inject it, you get this immediate rush. So... Afterwards, though, they will often experience a period of drowsiness alternating between being awake and nodding off, which sounded rather like me after two glasses of wine and waking up at the wrong railway station on the way home. The thing about that, as people I'm sure know already about heroin, is it down-regulates those receptors. It's the, the firing between them is lessened. That's why they need to take more and more to get the amounts yeah, that they need there's, to feel there's, the effects. There's, I'll get into some of the science stuff, which... That's why a lot of people that have... They the, overdose. No, 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 I, I, yeah, people do, because they stop taking heroin for a while yeah. and they take the previous amounts because they've, they've obviously um, resensitized themselves to it. Yeah. But it's people that are addicted to heroin and then need to have major surgery and then would need to actually take painkillers. They can't get the painkilling effect because they're, they're re- the receptors are so down-regulated already. Yeah. So then you can't take like huge amounts of opiates to, to stop the pain because you're already so sensitive. And you're not sensitive to it anymore, but then you can overdose and die on the actual pharma grade. So whilst heroin's effects can persist for four to five hours after the last heroin dose the half-life is estimated to be roughly 30 minutes long so in other words concentration of heroin in the blood is generally reduced to half its original value only 30 minutes after um, consumption so given that half-life it seemed unlikely she used that whilst her and joseph were together Plus, it turns out there's something um, called 6-MAM found in the autopsy reports. When somebody uses heroin, the drug is converted into the active metabolite 6-MAM and a less active 3-MAM. And it goes on and on and on. Loads of stuff. But this stuff has a half-life of 6 to 25 minutes before being turned into morphine. I really don't know if I can tell from the signs if it's more likely she used when she was with him or she did it as she just left her apartment. But her body is said to have been found 20 to 40 minutes drive depending on the traffic and the route choices away from her house. It's entirely possible she did take it just before she left with him. But with the driving about part of its story, it's much more likely that she did it when she was with him. So... Would she have injected? Because there's no mention of needle marks, as far as I'm aware, in any autopsy report. So would she have snorted it or would she have smoked it? Don't know. Snorting it or smoking it would have made more sense because it takes longer to get into the system. Yeah. So she could have done it before she'd left and then wait for it to peak when she was with him. Plus, the lethal doses of morphine in her system is mostly considered 200 
units is lethal. And she had a reading of 800 at autopsy. Again, though, she might be desensitised to it. Yeah. And I think he assumed the persona of his online character. That persona thing is definitely from a like Dungeons and Dragons role-playing thing. Well, you, you might recognise some of this. This character, he called himself Aki. There's a reason he kept bringing up this Amino app and Aki specifically. And he, this is the bio. It's, it's, this is my horror OC. I don't know what that means. Original character. I right. Think. Okay. He's a manipulative psychopath that enjoys toying with others while causing them mental and physical pain. He acts like a saint in public, but he has no remorse or emotions in general. He will hurt anyone and has no limit to what he will do. He spends his free time researching ways to torture people, keeping his mind sharp to avoid arrest. He has a PhD in psychology and computer programming. So, I think he also... They remember those wounds on her face that they think were post-mortem. The thought is that he injured her face to look like his Aki character because Aki has a bruised, bloody right eye and a split lip. It, it turned this, what I don't think it's like ERP, which is erotic roleplay. Is he's into some like RP thing, and he's now trying to confirm his fantasy about it. That, that that was his fantasy for his character, and then now he can actually act on it. So it's like a weird little f- fantasy fulfilled. Yeah. But now he's dealing with the repercussions. Yeah. It seems he left her where she was shot. It would take maybe a minute or two to get her out of the car, over to the tree, and shoot her hit her eye, cut her lip like his character, toss some leaves over her and leave. So eight minutes where his car was stationary. Remember, he's done this for no money at this point because the money is from selling the gun. Yeah. So he's made no money. Mm -hmm. What seems less realistic to this scenario is her picking the spot, him trying to talk her out of it, saying a prayer, shooting her and getting out in eight minutes. It's also as well he was very involved in Second Life, and it seems every character is a different person. So maybe one of his virtual personalities affected him psychologically in real life. Or perhaps it's, a, like you say, Cameron, it's an intertwining of personality disorder meets fantasy online and exacerbated itself until he finally acted out one of his online personas in real life. Even if any of this is the case, it will never justify what he did and nor will he be able to use that excuse in court because he seemed to be able to function on a day-to-day basis just fine. I've read one of his journal entries, and to be honest, I actually didn't see the problem with it, but it may just be me. It read as if he was creating a character in depth, just like a fantasy fiction author may. But there were some odd bits in that about sleeping with his wife's sister and having a child with both women, and keeping this secret in a hell universe he created for them for some 300 years. I mean, it was odd, but I have read worse. Now, I'm not sure who that's an insult to more. His his stuff being bad or some really bad authors that you've read. (laughs) Probably both. So it's not a really common thing on Craigslist, I think. Craigslist. Craigslist, yeah. I'm sure the post would have been flagged and removed fairly quickly. They take, they've taken down all the sections where people would buy drugs, etc. using code words. Like if you were looking for meth, you search for someone hanging with their friend Tina. So you go in, going in fast in a sentence is another code phrase for another type of drug. So you live and learn. He had at least two Twitter profiles and they are still up. I'm not going to link them. Is one of them him and one of them this character? 
two of sorry, he's he's got two Twitter profiles as his characters, one as him. So he's got three in total. Three in total, okay. yeah. And the characters are avatars, they're anime characters. And there's also still live work from him on Deviant Art as well. I know we've talked about Deviant Art before, Cameron. There's just like a place where um, artists can post their stuff or if you request things, it's almost like they're a portfolio yeah. for people. So questions, there are so many questions. One of the reasons we don't know answers to this is because he pled guilty. There was no trial. All we've got is some screenshots of an affidavit. Most of the stuff has actually disappeared offline. It's not even available on the Wayback Machine. It's just sort of gone into this black hole. It's rather odd. His GPS put him at her apartment until 12.30, but they were texting up until 12.20. So that means that they would not have been physically together until 12.20 at the earliest. So 10 minutes max. Did he walk in? She saw him and was like, oh, maybe she had the gun in her hand. Maybe he grabbed the gun off her or something and forced her out. In his first story that Natalie committed suicide in front of him, he claims he panicked and grabbed her purse that was laying on the, or a handbag that was laying on the ground along with the gun. If that was true, why did Natalie bring her handbag to commit suicide? Why not leave it at the apartment or in his car? He said after the shooting, he returned to his house and that's where he hid the gun and her handbag underneath the spare tyre in his car. That was true. Question about the purse still, the handbag still remains. If Natalie knew she was going to be shot, why take a handbag to the dairy? Also, the bullet wasn't retrieved from the crime scene. It is possible that Natalie may have been shot elsewhere and then transported to the dairy there is no mention of whether they found pools of blood there she got killed there this guy has done everything wrong through the entire process he's not going to be sufficient he's not, he's not going to be skilled enough to really kill someone put them in a car take them to the actual place to get dropped off fabricate the conversations about this without getting any blood on him or in the car at the time it happened there come on everything he's done at this point has been useless yeah, again, these 111 texts have never been released. So it's speculation, again, what was in all of them. But another theory is out there that was Natalie was trying to sell the gun, maybe to buy some more drugs. And it's the only scenario that could maybe make sense. And she went willingly with him, maybe to test fire the gun. And then he killed her to take the gun. But if that was true, why would Natalie bring a handbag but not her mobile phone unless she forgot the phone at home? Um, could be concerned that someone's going to steal it. Because yeah. if you're selling a gun kind of thing on, on Craigslist, as you call it, it'd make sense not to bring some of your more valuable stuff with you. It just seems... It, there's but, so but many... If you were him, why would you then try... To, why would you kill someone who's, who's going to be selling you a gun? But then you know that you'd have the gun because they'd want you, you'd say you want to test fire it. Yeah. And you just happen to test fire it on them. So that kind of would make sense. That's, that's like a yeah. possible... Yeah. I'm going to slightly go away from this case briefly. But there's a case of a New York man who arranged his own killing so his family could claim a huge insurance payout. And the fraud motive was proven by police because there's many, many insurance policies. Or now all insurance policies have suicide ruled out. You can't get the money from it. 
The man who killed this guy was first convicted of murder, but when that was overturned, when his lawyer managed to argue that he had just held the knife and the victim had basically jumped onto it with his body. I didn't punch her, officer. She ran into my fist. Yep. It's that kind of tear argument. Yep. Suicidal man was a motivational speaker. He could have used his persuasive abilities to rope an addicted ex-con into a fraud scheme without pointing out the risk that he'd likely spend the rest of his life in prison, but they managed to get off with a plea agreement. If that's true, he would have made a lot more money than he probably did. If you can convince someone to... No. Yeah. There's a really, really strange one from 2016 I found. Right. Eugene, Oregon. Three people come across a late 1996 Toyota Corolla crashed into a ditch on Wednesday the 1st of June. They found a woman in the driver's seat with nails in the back of her head. The trio got the woman into their car and started driving down the road to look for help. And there's a man walking up the road towards them. They stop. He told the group that he had nails in the back of his head too. The two of them were taken to a medical centre in Riverbend with life-threatening injuries. Detective visit the man, a 46-year-old by the name of Troy Thompson, in the hospital the next day. They, they, you know, read him his rights and then he tells them a story. He said he'd met the woman called Eve for the first time, May the 31st, the day before. He was walking along the highway when Eve pulled over and asked him for help. He got in the car. Eve said she needed someone to kill her, he told the detectives in a sworn affidavit. Eve's mother would later tell detectives that her daughter was struggling with mental illness. It was actually bipolar and she'd stopped taking her meds and had done this before. She had approached strangers in parks. She had posted ads on Craigslist and then then she met Troy. He got sentenced to two years in the state prison after accepting a plea deal plus three years on probation. She survived but suffered permanent brain damage. It's a really strange case. Did she relapse and decided to die like that? Was it a twisted joke that sucked this guy in? I don't know. Why does he have nails in the back of his head? Because he decided to kill himself as well and he put the nail gun to the back of his head. She ended up with, I think it was six or nine nails in the back of her head and he had one and the pain made him pass out. (laughs) Yeah, fuck that, that hurts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, back to Natalie. Final questions. Why more than anything? Why just take her life and ruin his? Anyone with half a brain could figure out he was never going to get away with it. He was one sick puppy, for sure. Joseph Michael Lopez was sentenced to 48 years in prison rather than the life sentence he would have got if he'd pled not guilty, even been found guilty. If he serves the entire term, he will be released by the time he is 71. In a very strange little twist, Natalie's twin sister, Alicia also went missing nearly two years after Natalie's murder. She was found safe shortly afterwards. It actually read like she'd been kidnapped or at the very least been held by a family member against her will. And it all got a bit hairy for a while, but seems like everything is okay with that. And they're trying to mend things. Whatever happened to the homeless man? He's still out there. 
He's still posting stuff on Facebook. He's still posting YouTube videos. And he's still very unwell. Has, has he ever delved into the stuff that happened with Natalie? Because he is so unwell, he has made some very strange claims. There was a claim... Like abduction, alien lizard people did it. Um, the townspeople hated him so much, they picked him up and lobbed him off a bridge and he fell something like 20, 30 foot. And yet, everybody's like, no, that didn't happen. He wasn't injured. Nobody takes... Anything you're saying seriously, because why would you? Yeah. yeah. But it does have me asking, why would you want to kill herself? I know she's had like potential relapse stuff with drugs and she's struggling with it. Yeah. We just do not know because the people that may have been able to answer those questions probably would have testified at a trial. But because there was no trial, we don't know. It would have been for the prosecution to bring up people that would have said, no, she hasn't been suicidal for the last five years. Her life was in a good place. We don't have any of that. This is why it's such a strange case. And it's been almost completely forgotten. But yeah, we've got a hitman for a suicide by hitman, maybe. Or was he living out his weird twisted fantasies? He's just odd. And that, finally, the victim who should not be forgotten, Natalie Bollinger, aged 19. So thank you very much for listening to the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me Monday Podcast and email us at murdermemondaypodcast at gmail.com. And possibly by this point, we might have actually had a Patreon set up. Yes. So that means when this comes out on the Monday, there might be a second that people can get on Patreon. Yes. Through Patreon forward slash MMOM. Yes. Thank well, find the link and I will put it on our it socials. We'll post it on and, socials yeah, and, and like, put it in the show notes. And all that good stuff. Support if you want. All right, we'll see you next time. Much love. Peace. Bye. Bye.